You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Feel like who art Ed? Who art Ed? Mr. Wood, art Ed, me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to great start. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. Today, we're going to be looking at the Terracotta Army. But before I get into all of that, I want to say welcome to all my new listeners. I've noticed an uptick recently, and I appreciate everyone who has helped spread the word about the show. For those of you just discovering the joys of exploring visual arts in an audio medium, I will be running daily mini episodes during January and February in the run-up to my annual Arts Madness tournament this spring. Many of these will be encore presentations of previous episodes as a quick refresher, but I will be continuing to make new episodes released every Monday. Now, on to the actual topic for today. In 1974, some farmers began digging a well. Before they struck water, they stumbled upon an amazing archaeological and artistic treasure, the Terracotta Army. Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China, wanted an army to protect him in the afterlife. Artists constructed an estimated 8,000 life-sized terracotta statues of soldiers, 400 horses, 100 chariots, and about 100,000 weapons. But what good is an army to protect you if you're bored for eternity? So the burial complex also includes musicians and acrobats to entertain Shin Shi Wong. While it was first described simply as a collection of warriors, further excavation has shown he seems to have replicated the whole political structure, bringing his empire with him into his afterlife. And from what we gather, with all of this stuff, it was still not totally completed, as a fourth pit appears to have been found empty. Now, prior to this period, Chinese sculptures tended to make smaller, more simplified figures. This sudden emergence of more detailed naturalistic sculpture in the round has led some to speculate that it was inspired by works found outside of China. Some point to records of Qin Shi Huang having cast a dozen gigantic bronze sculptures in response to, quote, giants in foreign robes, unquote, appearing in western provinces. Unfortunately, all of those bronzes were lost in the 4th century CE, but some speculate it could have been a reference to influence of Hellenistic Greek sculpture. While, as I said, those bronzes were lost in the 4th century, the Terracotta Army is still with us today. These figures were created around 200 BCE, and they show incredible detail. The variety of figures and unique faces has led some to speculate that there may have been portraits of specific individuals. The production of so many statues over 2,000 years ago was incredibly labor-intensive, but it appears to have been the result of a sort of assembly line process. 
Artisans would construct individual parts from a few molds, and then they would mix and match pieces to create unique combinations. You might call it early modular design. It appears there were eight different head molds used as a base for construction, and then artists would add details to make each face look unique. The faces, hairstyles, and clothing were so detailed, one could discern not only a clay soldier's role and rank in the military, you could even make a reasonable approximation of a clay soldier's age. That being said, some other features, like the arms and legs, appear to have been a bit more simple and utilitarian. The legs were thick clay cylinders. They appear to have been made using the same sorts of molds used in constructing terracotta drain pipes. This would not only make it quicker and easier to mass-produce the parts, the figures were built from the bottom up, so the cylindrical legs would need to be wide and thick to provide a strong base of support. Creating all of this took the work of thousands of laborers. While we don't have great records from the time, there are some writings that indicate as many as 700,000 convicts and forced laborers were relocated to work on the tomb site. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around that many people working on one tomb, but in addition to all the soldiers, horses, chariots, etc., there was also the task of just digging out the massive pits to bury all of that stuff. Archaeologists say that for pit number one alone, they had to dig up more than 70,000 cubic meters of dirt. Still, most say that the labor force likely numbered in the tens of thousands, maybe 15 to 20,000, rather than hundreds of thousands, as that would have exceeded the population of even the biggest cities of the time. While today we see images of dusty terracotta in familiar earth tones, they were actually brightly painted. After firing the terracotta clay, artists covered the warrior statues in lacquer and then brightly colored pigments to indicate their rank within the emperor's army. Unfortunately, spending thousands of years underground would degrade the paints, and when they are unearthed, the lacquer would quickly flake off the clay when exposed to the dry air. Now, any new pieces being unearthed are immediately sprayed with a solution to prevent this damage to the paint. So the newly discovered pieces will be better preserved. And yes, there are many pieces still to be discovered. Perhaps the most effective bit to protect the late emperor, though, was the poisonous moat of liquid mercury in the complex. That's actually probably the main reason it hasn't all been excavated yet. While we know that mercury and other heavy metals are really, really hazardous to people's health... Liquid mercury was thought to be an elixir of life back then. And so, ironically, Qin Shi Huang likely died because he was regularly ingesting mercury in his search for immortality. While archaeologists have been excavating the site in central China since its discovery in 1974, they still have yet to break the seal on Qin Shi Huang's actual tomb. The Han Dynasty historian Sima Qian described, quote, palaces and scenic towers for a hundred officials, as well as many rare artifacts and treasures. The Yangtze and Yellow Rivers are simulated using liquid mercury and the ceiling was decorated with constellations. 
From here, Qin Shi Huang could rule over his empire even in the afterlife. Now, personally, I have to imagine all of that must be quite breathtaking. Or maybe it's just a dusty chamber filled with a decayed narcissist who surrounded himself with rivers of poison for, you know, eternal life. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done. Have you ever wondered... Who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts.